they've been married for 30 years. He's a pioneer of Catholic lay evangelization, and she has a master's degree in theology. Put on the coffee and get ready to open the scriptures. It's time for Bible with the Barbers. Now, here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Welcome. Welcome to Bible with the Barbers on this Friday. Today is Friday in October, and it's, I don't know, the 21st or something like that, the 20th. I don't know, 21st, I think, because <laughs> I think tomorrow is the 22nd. Anyway, thank you. Thank you for joining us on Bible with the Barbers. Thank you to the radio stations that pick us up. Thank you to our benefactors. Thank you to those of you who are benefactors through your prayer, your work, and your suffering, who offer things, offer your sufferings and your prayers and your daily works for Virgin Most Powerful Radio. So we have an exciting topic today. It came up in Bible study. I do Bible study here on Tuesday nights at the chapel. Um, the chapel is at 381 West Center Street, and at 7 p.m. on Tuesday nights, I do a Bible study, and we're using the Catechism of the Catholic Church right now, and we're on the section of the Catechism on the Holy Spirit. And um, so the, the question came up, well, is it Holy Spirit or Holy Ghost? So we want to talk about that today, okay? So we'll talk about it. We'll talk about the Latin, the Hebrew, the, the, the Greek, and the Latin roots, and then the Germanic roots, roots of the word and see what we have here. And uh, we're going to also talk about what it says in the catechism and where those references are in scripture. Where does scripture get these ideas? Where, where, do, where does the church get these ideas from scripture? And, and um, thank you for joining us. So we'll begin to pray. <laughs> so we have the, some direction here from the Holy Spirit, right? In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Come, O Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of the faithful and enkindle in them the fire of thy love. Send forth thy spirit, and they shall be created, and thou shalt renew the face of the earth. O God, who by the light of the Holy Spirit did instruct the hearts of the faithful, grant that in the same spirit we may be truly wise and ever rejoice in his consolation through Christ our Lord. Amen. Sanctus, 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 Dominus Deus Sabaot, Pleni sunt celia terra, gloria tua, Hosanna in excelsis. Benedictus qui venit in nomine Domini. Hosanna in excelsis. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Again, welcome to Bible with the Barbers on this Friday um, in October. And I think um, we're at October 21st. Anyway, we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit. And in the Catechism of the Catholic Church, number 691, and I've mentioned this before, that Father Glenn Botton, who was a convert from Protestantism, he was a Presbyterian minister, he was, um, he was in Calvary Chapel, he was a Presbyterian minister, and then he became an Anglican priest, and now he's a Roman Catholic priest. And he said that when he was still a Protestant, he was using the Catechism of the Catholic Church to prepare his sermons, because the Catechism has so much commentary on Scripture, so, Holy Spirit is the proper name of the one whom we adore and glorify with the Father and the Son. The church has received this name from the Lord and professes it in the baptism of her new children. Compare Matthew twenty-eight nineteen, where Jesus said, Full authority has been given to me by my Father. Go, therefore, and baptize all, preach the gospel and baptize all nations in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, as if it were a single name. Why? Because there is one God in three divine persons, 
And it's interesting. People would ask, well, why didn't God just reveal himself in the Old Testament as a trinity of persons? Why did he insist, hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one Lord. Therefore, you shall love the Lord your God with your whole heart, your whole mind, your whole soul, with all your strength. Well, remember that in the Old Testament, the Israelites were surrounded by people who worshiped many gods. God is a father. And he's fathering his children. They call it divine pedagogy. He knows how to instruct his children. So he's revealed as father because only the son can reveal to us the father fully to understand that the father, but the son hadn't come yet. So he reveals himself as father in terms of creator. So the people understood that God was their creator and that he loved them very much. God speaks about his love for his people and the prophets. It's all through the Old Testament, Hosea, you know, and and he speaks of um, even Israel as his son, as his child. When Israel was a child, I loved him. Out of Egypt, I called my son. And much of this is prophecy about the Old Testament is it's the prophecy about the coming of Jesus Christ. When Adam and Eve sinned, God promised that he would send a Messiah. He promised, remember, in Genesis 3, 15, I will put enmity between thee and the woman, he said to the serpent, between her seed and your seed. It will strike at your head while you strike at its heel. And he kept that promise. He promised to send a Messiah, even though Adam and Eve had sinned, even though man had turned away from God and rejected his plan and his grace and his love. God said, I'm not going to stop loving you. I love you so much. And his, God's plan was, I will send my very own son. But he doesn't reveal himself as a trinity of persons all immediately. He reveals himself as a father who loves his children, teaching us as human beings how to love one another. So then in the, but in the Old Testament, he's preparing. He's preparing for the coming of his son. And then Jesus comes and he unveils to us that God is father in the sense that he really does have a son. He's not just a solitude unto himself. It's not father, son, and Holy Spirit as if it were just three different manifestations of God. There's only one Godhead. But in that Godhead, there are three divine persons. This is the greatest mystery of our faith. And all Christians believe in the most blessed Trinity, which, by the way, is not a word that's found in Scripture at all. But it's revealed in Scripture. Remember, in the beginning, when God creates, he says, when he's going to make man, he says, let us make man in our own image. And the divine image, let us make him. Male and female, let us create them. So in our, it, let us make man. And then when he goes to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, and you remember that, that there were three angels that came to talk to Abraham, and then two of them go on to see if it's really as bad. And in the meantime, the Lord says, well, should we reveal, re, should we reveal to our servant Abraham our plan? And so the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, are revealing to Abraham their plan to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah for its wickedness. And Abraham bargains with them. So God says, okay, fine. If I find 10 good men, I won't destroy the place. But then he leaves Abraham, and he goes on to Sodom. And as he goes on, it's morning time. It's time to destroy Sodom. And the angels are leading Lot and his wife and his daughters out by the hand. They have to practically pull them out because they're, they're not willing to just leave. And then it says, the Lord rained down from the Lord in heaven. 
Two lords? No, two persons. One Lord. Two persons, the Father and the Son. So there, there are hints in the Old Testament of the Trinity, but it's not fully revealed yet. And people understood because God was very firm. Remember, Israel, the Lord your God is one Lord. He's only one Lord. There's only one God. But in God, there are three divine persons. So he gradually unveils and he gives hints of his plurality of persons throughout the Old Testament. And then finally, his son becomes man and he's revealed. And then at the Last Supper, Jesus tells his apostles, I have to go because if I don't go, the paraclete will not come. But if I go, I will send him. You see, from all eternity, God speaks one word of perfect knowledge. And that word is his son. In the beginning was the word, it says at the beginning of John's gospel. And the word was with God and the word was God. So there's only, his, he only has one son. He only begets one son from all eternity who is co-equal to the father and knows all the father knows because he shares Godhead with the father. And then the father and the son, this, this, this person, the son, his word, he, he speaks, sees the father and the father and the son love one another and they spirate the spirit. And the spirit is the love between the father and the son, the burning love, the breath of God. And is the Holy Spirit present in the Old Testament? Well, we have it, it when God created the heavens and the earth, the spirit of God hovered over the waters, the breath. The breath of God hovered over the waters. So in baptism, the church was told, the, the whole apostles were told, they are to baptize in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. One God, three distinct persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So the term spirit translates the Hebrew word ruach, which in its primary sense means breath, air, wind. Jesus indeed uses the sensory image of the wind to suggest to Nicodemus, that's in John 3, the transcendent newness of him who is personally God's breath, the divine spirit. You can see John 3, 5 through 8. On the other hand, spirit and holy are divine attributes common to the three divine persons. By joining the two terms, scripture, liturgy, and theological language, designates the inexpressible person of the Holy Spirit without any possible equivocation with the other use of the terms spirit and holy. So God is spirit, correct? Yeah, God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are all spirit. God is holy. Yes, God is holy. God the Father is holy. God the Son is holy. God the Holy Spirit is holy. But when you take Holy Spirit and put them together, you're designating Holy Spirit as a distinct person from the Father and the Son. So the Father is not the Son or the Spirit, and the Son is not the Father or the Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is not the Father and the Son. There are three persons, one God, and this is the greatest mystery of our faith. And so the Holy Spirit, uh, the Hebrew word is ruach, meaning breath, air, wind. So this is the primary sense. So we're going to look at this. And we'll look at the Latin and the Greek. And then where did we get the word ghost? We'll take a look at that too. So we're talking about the Holy Spirit and his proper name. And in the Catechism of the Catholic Church, it says Holy Spirit is his proper name. Thank you for joining us on Bible with the Barbers on Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Please tell your friends and family about this and share that we have a Bible study. We'll be right back with more. Don't go away. And the light
Now, back to Bible with the Barbers. If you have a question or comment, call 888-526-2151. Here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Welcome. Welcome back to Bible with the Barbers on this Friday. Um, in, in October, I believe it's the 22nd, 21st. Today's the 21st. Tomorrow's the 22nd. But um, Terry's not with me today. He's babysitting our grandson. So um, I'm here with my guardian angel here in the student and at studio. And Lord, if I'm not in the state of grace, please put me in the state of grace. And if I'm in the state of grace, please keep me in the state of grace. And I ask that I always be living in the presence of God. And therefore, I'm never alone. God is with me. And wherever God is, there all of heaven is. Because you see, heaven is where God is. And where he is, there is all of heaven, all the angels and saints. So this room is crowded. But it's crowded by the, the spirits in, in heaven and uh, by God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we thank him and praise him and worship him and adore him. And we glorify him and thank him so much for all the goodness that he has bestowed upon us and for revealing himself to us. I was talking about divine pedagogy. So in the Old Testament, people understood that God was father. And he also understood him as bridegroom and shepherd. There were other terms, but mostly that he was father. And then the son comes and reveals him as that he has a son. That, you know, so now we know the father has a son from all eternity, that there are two persons. And then the, the son reveals the Holy Spirit. So there's this gradual unfolding and, and unveiling of who God is in himself. That God exists is not an article of faith, but that he's three divine persons, that there's one God, three divine persons, that is an article of faith. And so we ask God, if we don't believe, we can ask God for faith. If you don't have, you can ask God for the gift of faith. Lord, I believe, help thou my unbelief. It's a gift. So the Holy Spirit, what other titles are used of the Holy Spirit? Well, it's interesting. In the Gospel of John, John 14, 16, and verse 26, and then John 15, 26, and 16, 7, Jesus calls the Holy Spirit the paraclete, literally, he who is called to one side, advocatus. The paraclete is commonly translated consoler, and Jesus is the first consoler. But the Lord also called the Holy Spirit the spirit of truth. So he's called the paraclete, which is translated consoler, and he's called the spirit of truth. You can see John 16, 13. So the Holy Spirit has several names in the, in the, in the scriptures, okay? And besides the proper name of Holy Spirit, which is most frequently used in the Acts of the Apostles and in the Epistles, we also find in St. Paul the titles the spirit of promise, and that's in Galatians 3.14 and Ephesians 1.13. The spirit of adoption, remember in Romans 8.15 and in Galatians 4.16, he's called the spirit of adoption. The spirit of Christ, Romans 8.9. The spirit of the Lord, 2 Corinthians 3.17. And the spirit of God. Romans 8, 9, and Romans 8, 14, and then Romans 15, 19, 1 Corinthians 6, 11, and 7, 40. And in the letter of Peter, the spirit of glory, 1 Peter 4, 14. So we have all these titles for the Holy Spirit. This, and, and this is the unveiling of the mystery of who God is. In the Trinities, there's the, there's the distinction of persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. There are three persons, but there's only one Godhead. So we have this in the Bible. It's like, well, Ruha. Okay, so the Old Testament Hebrew was the original language. Now it was translated into the Greek, but the Hebrew word for the spirit, 
The spirit hovered over the water was his breath, the air or the wind. Okay. And when uh, the Greek, they use nomatos, pneumatos, my Greek pronunciation is, but pneumatos, breath, breath of light, life or spirit. And when Jerome translated the scriptures into Latin, he used the Latin word spiritus. And the Latin word spiritus means breath or breathing or air or soul or life principle. Okay, so the, the life of someone is the spirit. The life principle is our, is our, is our soul. Okay, so you have this, this image of breath or breathing or air. Well, where does the word ghost come from then? Well, it actually comes from the Germanic word geist. And in Anglo-Saxon, it was translated ghost. The spirit became translated as ghost. So the Anglo-Saxon um, translation became ghost, and it became used in the church, in the, in the, in the translation, the, the um, translation of scripture became, uh, they used the word ghost instead of spirit. But there's, it's not a matter of liturgical um, rites. It's just a matter of, of grammar. It's, it's language. It's in grammar, not in the sense of uh, commas and periods and, it, grammar in the sense of words and the meaning of words. And in English, you have, in, English is a very complex language. And you have a lot of uh, synonyms and words that, you know, sound the same or, you know, have similar meanings. And so you have words that are interchangeable, whereas you don't have that necessarily in the Greek or the Latin. You don't have these options of choosing all these different words that you could use. So in the English, you can use ghost or spirit. And basically, they're understood. In in the late 19th century and the 20th century, ghost became more associated. You know, people tell ghost stories, and it becomes it, it becomes associated with um, disembodied spirits. That is, people who have died who have come back to haunt the earth, and so we refer to the ghosts. And so, you know, people. Some people teach their children, well, there's the only ghost in this house is the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God who dwells in our home. Um, and, and, you know, it, it's true that there are, there have been instances where, uh, ghosts have been seen and sometimes it's just a, a poor soul from purgatory. Yes. The Catholic church does believe in purgatory. Yes. It's taught in the scripture. It's not called purgatory, but, um, sometimes those souls need prayers and God allows them to come back. And there was, um, there's one story of a, um, a Polish prince who had lost his faith. He was exiled from Poland, and then he had lost his faith, and he was going to write a book against you know, the existence of God and whatever. And one day his steward's wife, he saw his steward's wife in the garden, and he was in France, I believe, and she was crying. And, and he said, well, what, what's troubling you? He knew her. It was his steward's wife. And he said, well, my husband died and I, I have no money. I'm, we lost everything when they exiled us. So I, I want to have masses offered for my husband, but I don't have the means. Well, the prince had loved his steward. His steward was a good man. And so he sent his wife, I mean, gave the wife of the steward some money. He said, go, go ahead and have the mass offered for your husband. And so then the prince is in his study a little while later. 
And um, I don't remember if it was days or weeks later. And this, someone knocks at the door and he says, what well, was late at night and he's not expecting anyone. But he says, come in. And in walks the ghost of his steward. And he comes and he says, I want to thank you for giving my wife the money to have a mass offered for me. Because by that act of yours, your kindness to my wife, that has obtained for me the, the, the mass that was offered, the merits of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ were applied to me. And so I'm being released from purgatory and I want to thank you. And he disappeared. And the prince was flabbergasted and he fell on his knees and he begged God forgiveness for doubting the truth of the existence of God and the reality of the afterlife. And then he did penance for the rest of his life. And, and there, was, there was also then another man was visiting a, a place and there was this kind servant who was serving him. And, and this was, I'd never heard of this before, but um, the servant was serving him and, and the, the man was, um, was praying for the servant. And I don't remember exactly how the story unfolded, but somehow the priest, he, he came back to thank the servant and the servant revealed himself and said, no, I used to live here. I used to be the master of this house and God allowed me to stay here to serve, to make up for my sins. And I don't need money. I don't need gifts. I need masses offered for me. And so this priest offered masses for this, what he thought was a servant, which was actually a poor soul who was allowed to appear as a person and to, to serve in reparation for his sins. So God allows these things. He, he unveils the truth of the realities that he has revealed. And so, but my point here is that, you know, ghost, yeah, we, we refer to them as, as disembodied spirits. And often we think of ghosts as human beings. And so perhaps it became, um, you know, some, you know, the word ghost was used to refer to the Holy Spirit for maybe the last 500 years in church history. But now in the late 19th century and early 20th century, the, this, this fascination with ghosts and focusing on ghosts as if they were just disembodied spirits or even demons, um, we want to disassociate the Holy Spirit from that because the Holy Spirit is not evil. He's God. And he's not created either. He's not created. He's, he's God from all eternity. So he's not created. So now the word spirit came into use, which is actually the proper word from the Hebrew, ha, breath, uh, breath of life, spirit. Uh, um, so just, a, you know, I'm not, a, uh, what do you call that? I'm not an expert in the, um, what do they call? I think it's called the etymology of words and how words develop, but it's one of the difficulties with a living language. We could use the word ghost to refer to the Holy Spirit for centuries because everybody understood the Holy Ghost was, was the uncreated Spirit of God, who is God, all right? But now, in the later, as, as the word ghost develops, because the language is being used, Anglo-Saxon is still being used, it's still being spoken, um, the word changes meaning, and it becomes associated with either evil spirits, the, the demons, or with um, the souls of the, 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 those who have died. And so it, it, creatures, it becomes associated with oh, a ghost is a creature, but, but the Holy Spirit is not a creature. He is God from all eternity. So we want to make sure that people understand that distinction. 
Okay, but nonetheless, there's nothing wrong with using the word Holy Spirit because that was what, you know, the, the, the Hebrew word ruach is breath, air, or wind. It didn't mean ghost. It was, it, as we understand, ghost in the 20th century, okay? So, and again, there's that, that change in language when language is constantly being spoke, spoken. So you have, you have, if you have the, you know, the ancient Hebrew the biblical Hebrew, or if you have the Koinian Greek, the ancient biblical Greek, or the Latin language, which became a dead language because it's no longer spoken, um, then the meanings of the words don't change. So it's easier to translate in some senses. I'm not saying that one's right or one's wrong. It's just, a, it's a matter of language, okay? It's not a matter of, by the way, of rights in the Catholic Church. It's not R-I-T-E, right. Like, you know, liturgical rights. And by the way, we have many liturgical rites in the Catholic Church. So you have different symbols of the Holy Spirit. The water, the water symbolizes the Holy Spirit, the action in baptism. And I hear that music. That means we're coming up against a break. Again, thank you for uh, listening. Thank you for sharing this with your friends and family and everybody you know. And um, thank you for joining us. And please tell your friends and family to join us. On Bible with the Barbers, I'll be back with more. Don't go away. We're talking about the Holy Spirit. Now, back to Bible with the Barbers. If you have a question or comment, call 888-526-2151. Here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Welcome. Welcome back to Bible with the Barbers. Terry is not here with us physically. He's um, watching our grandson. So I'm here in the studio, but I'm not alone, never alone. My holy guardian angel is with me. And um, please, God, I am in the state of grace. I ask God to put me in the state of grace if I'm not and to keep me there if I am. And so uh, God is with me. And I ask him to be with me. We're talking about the Holy Spirit, and I'm using the Catechism of the Catholic Church for the proper name of the Holy Spirit, for titles of the Holy Spirit, for symbols of the Holy Spirit. You can look at the Catechism of the Catholic Church, paragraph 691 through uh, 701, and, and look at the scripture references, okay, in the footnotes, please. I want people to understand. Number one, without the Catholic Church, we don't have the Bible. The Bible didn't exist as a, as a collection of books until the, the bishops of the Catholic Church got together in councils and with the, with the Holy Father at the head to decide which books were actually scripture. And they didn't do this on their own. They did this through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Jesus Christ only founded one church, and he did found a church. The Bible didn't, um, the, the, the church doesn't come out of the Bible. The Bible was, the canon of the scriptures was, pronounced on by the Catholic Church, by the bishops and the Holy Father of the Catholic Church, in order to bring clarity, okay? The, Hebrew, the Hebrews, the, 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 we've talked about this before, they didn't have a consensus at the time of Jesus which books were scripture. There were different opinions, okay? And um, the, the New Testament, there were, other, there were other books, other gospels, and so the church got together in, what was it, 395 A.D. and... Um, and uh, at the council, Carthage, Hippo, uh, they went from between 392 or 393 up to 424 or 25 on, de- uh, on asking the Holy Spirit to guide us. And they came up, actually those three councils, one of them was, two of them were councils and one of them was a synod, but they came up with the same list. 
And it's not, the Council of Trent finally codified that list, but the Council of Trent didn't change that list. And it wasn't that the Council of Trent was finally saying, okay, this is, you know, now we declare this is the scriptures. And no, it was that the, the, the Protestant reformers were rejecting some of the books that had already been considered scripture by the church for 1,500 years that had been accepted by the church and read in the liturgy as if it were scripture. And so Protestant reformers were rejecting some of those books or parts of some books, like part of the book of Daniel in the Old Testament. And, um, oh, there, was, there, were, there were called apocryphal books in the Old Testament, Maccabees 1 and 2, part of Daniel. Um, I can't remember. Tobit was one of them, I believe. And, that, and even in the New Testament, the book of James. And then Martin Luther, in the book of Romans, added the word faith alone. We're saved by faith alone. And the scripture didn't teach that. That was Martin Luther added the word alone to, the, to, to Romans. And the only place in the New Testament where the words faith and alone occur together is in the book of James where it says we're not saved by faith alone, which Martin Luther wanted to reject the book of James. He wanted to throw it out and say, no, that's not scriptural. Well, the church had always accepted it. It was Martin Luther who wanted to reject it. And then um, in terms of the Bible alone, well, the church, the, the, the scripture never taught that the Bible alone was the only rule of faith. As a matter of fact, Paul writes, hold fast to what I have handed on to you, whether by word of mouth or in writing. So there's an oral tradition and written tradition, written scriptures that we're supposed to hold fast to. What Christ has revealed, everything's not written down. And John's gospel makes that clear. And John's gospel, John says, if everything that Jesus had said and done was written down, I'm sure the world could not hold the books. And, and, and so everything that Jesus said and did wasn't written down, but we wrote down what we thought was necessary so that you could believe. And then um, we have uh, in 1 Timothy 3.15, Paul writes, the church is the pillar and foundation of truth. And in 2 Timothy, I believe it's 3.16, Paul writes, all scripture is useful for teaching and building up the man of God. But he doesn't say only scripture. He says all scripture. And at, in that time, when Paul was writing, the books of the Old Testament had not yet been declared. Which books of the Old Testament were actually inspired by the Holy Spirit had not yet been declared by the church. It was the church who declared which books were actually the ones that were inspired by God, that the Holy Spirit was the author of. And why, how is that possible? How could the church do that? Because Jesus left his authority to his church. He told Peter, you are rock and on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. And I give to you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you declare bound on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you declare loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. So Jesus gives his authority to the church and the apostles were to safeguard and pass on faithfully without changing it, what Jesus had revealed. And no pope, and the church has made this very clear, not even a pope can change the sacred deposit of faith. Public revelation ended with the death of the last apostle. So there's no new public revelation. You see, the, last, the end of times began when Jesus was made incarnate. And so we are in the end times. How long are the end times going to be? We don't know. But in every day and age, we are supposed to follow God, be faithful to him, be faithful to his word, be faithful to the church. And so 
All of these things are important in order for us to understand fully what, how to understand the scripture. So we looked at the Catechism of the Catholic Church because it's, it's authoritative in, in showing us how the church has always seen scripture. And if any, any current bishop or theologian is teaching something that's contrary to what the church has always taught and believed, then even, even a pope cannot change what Jesus revealed. So even if, if, you know, St. Paul said, even if an angel of God were to come and preach to you a gospel other than the one I preached, let him be anathema. So we have to pray for our leaders that they faithfully pass on and safeguard the sacred deposit of faith and that they give us the truth in season and out of season, whether convenient or inconvenient. So we're talking about symbols for the Holy Spirit. And we talked about water, right? Jesus said, you know, unless you're born again of water and the spirit. But water is also a symbol of the Holy Spirit. And, and remember, Christ said that this living water would flow out from him. This living water who is the Holy Spirit, whom the Father and the, the, Father and the Son send upon the church. The living water, which is welling up as a source of eternal life. And we ha- you have John 4, 10 and 17, 4, excuse me, 10 through 14. John 7, 38. Exodus 17, 1 through 6, Isaiah 5, 1, Ezekiel 14, 8, 1 Corinthians 10, 4, Revelations 26, 6, and 22, 17. All these images of water, the water willing up to life. The Holy Spirit is the anointing. Christ, Jesus Christ, he's called the Christ because he's the Messiah. He is the anointed of the Father And it's a unique anointing. He receives the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Yeah, David was anointed as king. Kings in the Old Testament were anointed. The priests were anointed. But the anointing of the Christ is unique. He is anointed with the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is his anointing. So now fully established as Christ in his humanity, victorious over death, Jesus pours out the Holy Spirit abundantly until the saints constitute in their union with the humanity of the son of God, the perfect man to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, the whole Christ is the way St. Augustine put it, but to the measure of the fullness of Christ. And that's, um, that comes from Paul's letter to the Ephesians four thirteen, And also you can look at acts two thirty six, where the Holy spirit is poured out. And so you have this, the water, the anointing, and also fire, right? Where do we have the fire? Well, at Pentecost, when the apostles are praying for the coming of the Holy Spirit, Jesus, after he ascends into, as he's ascending into heaven, he tells them before he ascends to go back to Jerusalem and to pray and that they will receive the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And so on Pentecost, they receive this outpouring. And what happens? There's a great wind that shakes the house where they were, the sound of which is so loud that people from all over Jerusalem hear it and come to see what's going on. And then the Holy Spirit descends upon them in the form of a dove and flames of fire. And the fire is distributed and each of, lands on each of them. And this is representing the fullness of the Holy Spirit. So we have this fire So the water signifies birth and fruitfulness of life given in the Holy Spirit. The fire symbolizes that transforming energy of the Holy Spirit, which is love. Perfect love casts out fear. After the the apostles receive the Holy Spirit, they are no longer afraid. They're not afraid of anything. They're not afraid of death anymore. 
because they know that if they're faithful to Christ, their future lies in heaven with Christ. They have a promised future with God in heaven. And so they're not afraid. Their love is perfected. Fire transforms them. The the fire of God's love transforms them into living flames of love who go around spreading the love of God. And perfect love casts out fear. And that's what happens. So we have this fire of the Holy Spirit coming upon them and transforming them. And we see this in the Old Testament and the New Testament. And you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit in fire, Jesus told him in Luke 17, excuse me, in Luke 1, 17 and Luke 3, 16, we have this image of the being baptized with the Holy Spirit in fire. And Jesus says of the Spirit, I come to cast a fire on the earth and how I would that it were already kindled. You can see that in Luke 12, 49. I have come to cast a fire upon the earth, not a destructive fire, but a fire of love that will build up and unite and create the kingdom of God here on earth where we will not be afraid of death anymore. We won't be afraid of suffering anymore. We'll want to be like Christ and we'll want to love like him. And of course, at Pentecost, we have the Holy Spirit and the tongues of fire, right? Acts 2, 3 and 4. So much, so much love of God in the form of fire, transforming us, transforming us into a living image of Christ, becoming the kingdom of God on earth through our love for our brothers and sisters. Don't go away. Please share this with your friends and invite everyone to join us. Now, back to Bible with the Barbers. If you have a question or comment, call 888-526-2151. Here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Thank you. Thank you for joining us on this Friday, October the 21st for Bible with the Barbers. Please share with all your friends and and neighbors and Everyone you work with, everyone you know that we have a Bible study, a Catholic Bible study. You can listen to it for free. You can listen to the podcasts. We've been doing this for several years now. There's a lot to listen to. Um, thank you to our benefactors. Thank you to the radio stations that pick us up. Thank you, all of those of you who pray for us, who offer your sufferings and your sacrifices, and even your daily work for us. We really appreciate it. Um, we're talking today about the Holy Spirit, and this, this came up in Bible study because someone asked me, well, why Holy Ghost, Holy Spirit, which is it? So we talked about that at the beginning of the show, the different um, languages, the Hebrew ruach, meaning breath, air, or wind, then that was translated into the Greek, nomatos in the New Testament, meaning breath, breath of life or spirit, the Latin spiritus, meaning breath, breathing, air, soul, or life, and then ghost comes actually from the Germanic and the Anglo-Saxon, um, and the, the Latin word spirit is translated into German or, or Anglo-Saxon as ghost. So um, you can listen to the beginning of this show to get a more detailed explanation of all those. And we're talking now of images of the Holy Spirit. And we're looking at the Catechism of the Catholic Church, paragraphs um, 691 through 701. There's In the Old Testament, you have cloud and light, right? You have the two images that occur together in the manifestations of the Holy Spirit. In the Theophanies, the you know, rev, uh, 
manifestations of God. A theophany is a manifestation of God. In the Old Testament, you have the cloud, now obscure, now luminous, reveals the living and saving God. While veiling the transcendence of his glory, we can't see the glory of God until we get to heaven. With Moses on Mount Sinai, Exodus 24, 15 through 18. The tent of meaning, meeting, there was the meeting tent, remember, in the desert? Exodus 33, 9 through 10. And during the wandering in the desert, look at Exodus 40, 36 through 18, which is talked about in 1 Corinthians 10, 1 and 2. And then we have in, in Solomon, the dedication of the temple. Remember when Solomon builds the temple and then the Shekinah, the glory cloud, comes and fills the temple so that everyone has to leave. God's presence fills the temple. And you can see that in um, 1 Kings 8, 10 through 12. And then you have the Holy Spirit coming upon the Blessed Virgin Mary to overshadow her so that she might conceive and give birth to Jesus. Look at Luke 1, 35. The Spirit of the Lord will, come, will overshadow you and the power of the Most High will come upon you. The Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And thus the holy offspring to be born of you will be called holy, the Son of God. Mary bore the Son of God. That's, that's the scriptures. That's God's word to us. That's God's choice, not ours. The Catholic Church didn't make that up. They don't call her mother of God as something made up. Mother's mother persons, not natures. And she is the mother of the Son of God. She's the mother of God. The Son is God. He is co-equal, co-eternal with the Father. And he, he took to himself a divine nature, which he takes from his mother. But she mothers the second person of the Blessed Trinity. And he dwelt in her for nine months. She is his first tabernacle. And then you have on the Mount of Transfiguration, where the Spirit comes in the cloud and overshadows Jesus and Moses and Elijah. And then the voice of the Father is heard. This is my son who, in whom I am well. Then my chosen one, listen to him. And you also have the Holy Spirit descending upon Jesus in the, oh, the form of a dove. I'm sorry, that's not... He, wasn't, he didn't come as a cloud at the baptism. I'm getting ahead of myself here. So those are all images of the cloud, right? And then you have um, the disciples at the ascension when the cloud takes Jesus from their sight. As Jesus ascends into heaven, the cloud takes him from their sight. And that's the, the, the Holy Spirit. Now Jesus isn't, and, and the Holy Spirit will come. And then you have, there's, there are four more seals here. I don't know if I'll get through all of them. You have the seal, four more sorry, four more images of the Holy Spirit that are talked about in the Catechism of the Catholic Church, the seal, the hand, the finger, and the dove. So you have the seal um, is close to the anointing. The Father has set on him his seal. He has set his seal upon Christ, on Christ, and also seals us with him. So you have in John six twenty seven, it talks about the Father has set, his seal on him, on Christ, right? And then about us being sealed in 2 Corinthians one twenty two and Ephesians one thirteen and 4.30. And this, the seal indicates that indelible effect of the anointing of the Holy Spirit in the sacraments of baptism, confirmation, and holy orders. So the image of the seal has been used in, um, in some theological traditions to express the indelible character of some of the unrepeatable sacraments. When you're baptized, you're baptized. That's it. You're baptized once. When you're confirmed, you're confirmed. That's it. You're, you're confirmed. When you've been, um, when a priest has been 
anointed a priest. He's a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. There's no taking that away. There's an indelible mark on his soul that shows him to have been. So when we are baptized, there will be an indelible mark on our soul for all eternity to show that we were baptized, that we belong to God. Um, If we've been confirmed, there's an indelible mark on our soul that shows that we have been confirmed by the Holy Spirit to be a witness to Christ. And if if a man has been ordained to the priesthood, there's an indelible mark on his soul that's never removed. Whether the soul goes to heaven or hell, it's, it's marked. It's marked. It belongs to God. And then um, Jesus blesses the little children by laying hands on them. Um, in, the, in his name, the apostles do the same. And you can, the many references in the, 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 the Gospels. Yes, in the Bible, but in the Gospels. And um, the apostles' imposition of hands It's through the apostles' imposition of hands that the Holy Spirit is given. When the apostles impose hands, see Acts 8, 17 through 19, Acts 13, 3, and Acts 19, 6, through the imposition of their hands that the Holy Spirit is given. And this is, you know, God set this up. This This was in God's plan. And then you have the Holy Spirit, the finger of God's right hand, right? It is by the finger of God. Remember when Jesus... Um, they say, it's by Beelzebul that I cast out demons. And he said, well, if it's by Beelzebul, then who do your people cast out demons? But if it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons. Okay, look at Luke eleven twenty. So, and remember, God's law was written by a finger on the tablets of stone. And by the finger of God. Let's see if he, they give me here this reference. It's an Exodus. I know it's an Exodus. Exodus 31, 18. And then also you can see the compare 2 Corinthians 3, 33. So you have this finger of God represented in the scriptures. And then you have the dove. Remember at the end of the flood when Moses sends out the dove to see if the dry land has appeared yet. And the first time he sends him out, the dry land, nothing. The dove comes back. The second time, he comes back with an olive branch in, in his hand. No, where did, did he come back? No, nothing. The first time he comes out. The second time he comes out back with an olive branch in his hand. Third time when he sends the dove out, the dove doesn't come back. Meaning that the dove had found a place to, to make a nest. So then Moses, so, so Noah, excuse me, Noah's in the ark. <laughs> he knows that the floodwaters have receded. Okay. And that the earth is habitable again. And you can read about that in Genesis 8, 8 through 12. Okay, and then you have Christ, the Holy Spirit comes upon him when he, remember, he goes down into the Jordan to be baptized by John. John objects, you know, I should be baptized by you. And Jesus says, let it be so for now to fulfill all righteousness. Jesus goes down into the water and John baptizes him. And when he comes up out of the water, the spirit descends on him in the form of a dove. And the father's voice is heard saying, this is my beloved. Listen to him. And so the Holy Spirit descends on him in the form of a dove. So in Christian iconography, the Holy Spirit represents the dove. And it's because the Holy Spirit came in the form of a dove to rest on Jesus. And the dove of Noah's ark is a prefigurement of the Holy Spirit, representing peace, the the olive branch, peace. The Holy Spirit will bring us peace And he's going to perfect love within us. And he's going to set us on fire with the love of God, which will burn out from us all the dross 
that makes us afraid to witness to Christ, that makes us afraid to live the commandments fully, that makes us afraid to fight bravely against sin and all of the weakness in our flesh. And remember, we have the world, the flesh, and the devil as our, as our enemies, our own flesh, and, and the world that tells us, oh, relax, you know, tomorrow, you got till tomorrow, don't worry about it. No, I only have today. It's imminent. It's urgent. And it's an arduous task. But the Holy Spirit is there to help us. God is God and we are not. God is Father, he is Son, and he is Holy Spirit. There is only one God and there are three divine persons in God. God is the original family. He is In God there is fatherhood, there is sonship, and the essence of the family which is love. And the Holy Spirit is that breath of God, that love of God, the love between the Father and the Son, who is a real person, not just a manifestation. God is really a trinity of persons. And this is an article of faith. If you don't believe this, ask God for the gift of faith. If you don't believe that the Son of God became man, ask God for the gift of faith. Jesus revealed himself as the Son of God, making himself equal to the Father. That's why they put him to death. Look at the Gospel of John and his witness before Pilate. And, and we have to accept the witness of our Lord Jesus Christ. He is God. God made man. And he sent his Holy Spirit to anoint us, to breathe his life into us. The Spirit of God dwells in us by our baptism, by the sacraments. And we are bound by the sacraments, St. Thomas Aquinas tells us. So if we know that the sacraments are the sources of grace, through which God gives his grace, then we need to avail ourselves of those sacraments. And if we don't know that yet, we can ask for the grace of faith to know fully God's plan. But in the meantime, we can always invite God into our life. My God, people tell me you really exist. I want to believe in you. Help my unbelief. Show yourself to me in a way that I can believe. You know, Bob Fishman was a convert from the Judah. from Judaism. And he tried to evangelize his mother and tell her about Jesus. But every time he said the name Jesus, she would get really upset. And finally he said, mom, what upsets you so much about the name Jesus? And she said, Bob, in my family, the name Jesus was a curse word. And he said, oh, he said, what what about Yeshua? Did your father ever use Yeshua, the Jewish name? Oh, no. So then Bob talked to his mother about Jesus by using his Hebrew name, and his mother was able to be open and accepting of Yeshua. Sometimes there are obstacles there that are emotional, not in the will. So let's be generous with people and gentle with them and ask the Holy Spirit to lead us and ask the Holy Spirit to lead others. And let's ourselves ask the Holy Spirit to lead us into the fullness of the truth so that we can know, love, and serve the Lord our God with all of our hearts, minds, and souls, and that God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit can come and dwell in us and live in us now and forever and for always, that we can live in Him and we can be with Him in heaven for all eternity. Thank you for joining us on Virgin Most Powerful Radio on Bible with the Barbers. Please share with your friends and family, especially that we have a Bible study for all Catholics. God bless you. God will be back next week with more Bible studies.